Welcome to the Cumberland Podcast. My name is Chris Fleming. I'm the Adult Ministries Coordinator for the Discipleship Ministry Team of the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And today we're going to talk about the lectionary text for the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. That's going to be February the 9th. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to let you know again about the Pray Fast Act, Denominational Day of Fasting and Prayer. That's going to be coming up on Ash Wednesday. That's February the 26th. And we're inviting all Cumberland Presbyterians to participate. Uh, we have churches all across the world in all time zones, so we're hoping that for whole 24 hours there will be Cumberland Presbyterians that are participating in our day of prayer, fasting, and acting. And also, I wanted to let you know, here later this week, I'm going to drop a podcast that uh, I had a chance to interview the Reverend Lisa Cook from Nashville Presbytery. You may know her. She started the Sacred Sparks Ministry in Nashville, and she's done an incredible job down there, and the podcast is just an interesting interview, and so I invite y'all later on Thursday or Friday to download that. I'll probably upload it a couple times because I really want to get her um, work known among people who may not know it and, and opportunities that you could serve and give to that ministry. It's a really great ministry. So now we move on then to February 9th, fifth Sunday after Epiphany. The text for this week are Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Matthew 5, 13 through 20, and Psalm 112, 1 through 9. And the collect for today is, Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins, and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So general themes this week, um, as is custom, you've found out through your study of the lectionary through the season of Epiphany, uh, the weeks following up to Lent, there is a theme of light. So if you wanted to this Sunday, it would give you a chance uh, and the opportunity to explain all the imagery of light in the Bible. In the Isaiah passage, light means that the believer or Christian nation, at least in the Old Testament setting Israel, believing nation, is one that acts in such a way that their conduct becomes a beacon of light to others and worthy of admiration or praise. It's that thing when you know someone and you've seen someone enough in your life, you think to yourself, that's a good person, and when I grow up, I want to be just like that person. That's one way light works in Scripture. Uh, in the Psalm passage, light is presented as a, as a way of joy in a dark world. The psalmist describes someone that even in the darkest spot, Light shines so that they may see through the darkness and live life, live a life of joy before God. In the Corinthians passage, the word light doesn't appear, but the concept is that light is the proper understanding of the things of God. So in that passage, light means true knowledge. And in the Matthew passage, light is presented as the glory of God. So in our speech and our conduct, we glorify God. God illumines us to reflect God's nature to a dark world. Another theme this week uh, that will lead us up to the season of Lent is a theme of examination. The Isaiah passage contrasts God's desire for the people of Israel as they practice their spiritual disciplines with what they actually do and what they and their conduct after they have gone to worship or have they uh, participated in spiritual disciplines. God asks, is this the type of fast I have chosen? Now the psalm describes the person who is in true connection with God. The psalm becomes a mirror uh, for us to see if our lives match up with the one described by the psalmist. The Corinthians passage asks us to think about the wisdom that we are pursuing, human wisdom or God's wisdom revealed by the Holy Spirit. 
In the gospel passage, Jesus asked, What good is salt if it loses its flavor? What good is light if you hide it under the table? And then the last theme that uh, you can explore, at least I'm suggesting you explore, is the motivation of our spirituality. In the Isaiah passage, the people ask God, Why do we do these things if you don't notice? seems to be a little selfish motivation is the implication. In the psalm passage, there's a model of proper motivation. In the very first verse, it says, A fear of the Lord and a delight in the commandments of God are a good motivation. In the Corinthians passage, there was a bit of pride of a self-satisfaction, maybe being more wise than another person. In the gospel passage, there's a question of glorifying God or glorifying self. We must have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, if we turn to each of these texts as individuals, or as individual texts, the Isaiah passage begins in verses 1 and 2 as a call um, for the people of God to examine themselves. A lot of times as ministers, we might talk about the problems of the world and forget that the people of God may also need an attitude check. So, in this passage, Isaiah becomes the quintessential example of a prophet. Shout loud, God says, proclaim to my people their sin. And as ministers, we play this role. The proclamation that God is not amused or happy when God's people are in a state of sin or a bad attitude. You as the minister can describe how your congregation or the church at large just simply plays at church. The worship experience each week is crafted for maximal impact. People are singing, they throw money in the plate, but what do they do when they leave church? How is their relationships? Are they working uh, with integrity? Do they have a heart of mercy? Or do they fight about everything? If so, we find ourselves in the same position as the Israelites in Isaiah chapter 58. Now in verse 3, the people don't understand why they're doing all this spiritual stuff because it doesn't seem to be making a difference. It doesn't seem to be getting the blessing that they think they deserve. The illustration for this is I had a buddy who once blamed God for his divorce. He couldn't believe that God would allow this divorce to happen. He lamented about God forsaking his marriage. I gently pointed out one day that it might have something to do with the affair he had and the fact that he continually blew his money at a bar every night. He couldn't seem to grasp those facts, though, and he responded, Well, I go to church every Sunday, and I pray all the time. What can you do? Then in verses 3 through 7, 3b through 7, uh, contrast the actions of the people in their time of fasting and the result of their supposed spiritual out, spirituality with what God desires. And then in verses 8 and 9, uh, we hear the results of true spirituality. And because it's in the season of Epiphany, that means that light breaks forth. When you practice true spirituality, light breaks forth. And in this passage, the glory of Israel is revealed to all the other nations. This can happen to your church and to individuals as well, I believe. The psalm passage uh, can be understood as holding up a mirror to examine the quality of life that we're experiencing. And if it's in line with those who are um, in love with God and delight in the law of God. And so if you want to use this text, John Calvin once wrote, he had a threefold use of the law. We're going to hit on two of them today. The first one that John Calvin said is that the law is like a mirror. As in a mirror, we discover any stains upon our face. So in the law, we behold first our impotence and then the consequences of it, our sins, and then finally the curse as the consequence of both. So I think that helps in our understanding of preaching this psalm passage. Verse 1 begins by saying, Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly de delight in his commandments. And so if you're one of those blessed people that you fear the Lord and you delight in his commandments, the following verses show the quality of life or the 
consistency of life in which you'll experience if you are one of those people. In verses 2 and 3, you'll see that you leave a great legacy. Uh, it talks about the descendants, your descendants of the land and the riches that you, um, you get when you are one of those who fear the Lord and delight greatly in God's commandments. Verses 4 and 5 speak of a heart of mercy. Compassion and justice, then, will be the characteristics of your life, and people will say, this person is just and compassionate and gives and merciful. Verses 6 through 8 talks about, I'm going to call it a heart of freedom. And I think this is a big one for today. When you read those verses, you'll see a freedom from fear before God in this world. And if you live right before God, it leads to less anxiety in an evil world. And this is the type of freedom many people today desire. And then finally, verse 9, it, it's a life of integrity. It's holding your head high with honor. Imagine if you were to die, could verse 9 be on your tombstone? It would say, you have distributed freely, given to the poor, your righteousness endures forever, your horn is exalted in honor. That would be a pretty good way to, to live and to die. And so the psalm passage then calls us to examine whether our lives match up to that or not. And I think the Corinthian passage can tie all these texts together in a certain way. In this passage, Paul seems to be dealing with the criticism that he isn't the ideal minister. He's not eloquent. He's not forceful or powerful. So this passage sets up examination or self-reflection for both Paul, and then Paul turns it around and challenges the Corinthians to examine themselves. Paul may have weaknesses, but he's found strength in the power of God. Then Paul turns the question to the Corinthians, what wisdom and power are you following? So in verses 1 through 5, Paul reflects on himself, and he brings, and then he begins to question the Corinthians. Is your, faith, is your faith based on human wisdom or the power of God? In verses 6 through 11, Paul indicates that the mature person understands the message of the wisdom of God. But the reason why a lot of the Corinthians can't understand the wisdom that Paul preaches is that they have an improper relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is active in mature persons, and the Holy Spirit reveals wisdom to the mature. In contrast, the person who has not become mature or does not have the Holy Spirit uh, indwelling in them do not understand the wisdom of God, and they only judge things according to the wisdom of humanity. So Paul says in verse 11, For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. So in this verse, Paul is challenging those who criticize him to examine themselves. So I think using the psalm passage here would help illustrate the character and conduct of those who have the Holy Spirit residing in them. The psalm lists up values that are not found in the world, and it describes those who are connected with God. So use that to examine whether your church or you or your congregation uh, have the spirit of the world or the spirit of God operating in our lives. Then in verse 12, Paul says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. So you can use this Isaiah passage to contrast those who seek worldly gain and wisdom and those who practice true, true spirituality. In the Matthew passage, Jesus illustrates authentic Christian life by speaking of the law. He says those who live by the law are spiritually dead, and they are illustrated by the scribes and the Pharisees. Those who live by the Holy Spirit not only fulfill the law, but their righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. You can use this passage to explain the difference between life by the law or life by the Spirit. That's a reoccurring theme for Paul in his books. And finally, the Matthew passage. So again, in our preparation for the season of Lent, I believe this passage, passage lends itself toward motivation, toward your motivation of spirituality and examination of what you're actually pursuing. 
You can use this to build on your sermon if you used the Beatitudes last week. First, in verse 13, Jesus speaks of being salt and light, but what good is it if salt has lost its taste? What good is it if light is hidden? So again, Christ is calling us to an examination of our spirituality in our lives. And second, uh, Jesus wants us to examine our motives. Is the life you're living for yourself? Are you living in such a way that uh, it puffs you up? If you are, that's hiding the light. That's salt losing its flavorness. Next, Jesus would say, well, from this passage, we could say, are you living and pursuing spirituality like the Pharisees? They love to be seen praying, making their tassels long and their phylactylaries wide. Or are you living in an authentic relationship with God so that God illumines you and others see that the light of God is in you and they take note that God is good and give God praise because of you? In verse 17, then, to finish up, Jesus underscores the importance of the law in that it can show, uh, it can show you what behaviors and thoughts can lead to a proper and authentic relationship with God. But the law can never be an end to itself. It must lead to love of God and love to humanity. So the third use of the law for John Calvin is helpful here. He says, in addition to the law being a mirror, uh, the law reveals what is pleasing to God. John 14:15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But the law is never a substitute for the love of God or love of others. And then Christ clarifies this by saying, your righteousness, righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So they weren't missing dis, uh, obedience. They were very obedient to the law. What they were missing was the lawgiver and the love of God and the love of other people and those things which you find in the Psalms. So that's all I got for you today. Remember, coming up this week, I'm going to drop a podcast with Reverend Lisa Cook. She's amazing, and you're going to enjoy that podcast and getting to know her and her ministry. Lord, I do pray that you would bless our churches this week, that you would bless our efforts in discipleship. I bless it. I ask that you would bless us as we live, that you would illumine your goodness and nature in us so that others might see you and praise you and maybe even be led to a deeper relationship with you. Thank you for the ministry of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, your protection and guidance of it, and we pray to be proper servants. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.